All right, so we're together finally tonight um, after missing two weeks. Um, but in our first two weeks of this Bible study, we were looking at the centrality of the gospel in the life of the Apostle Paul. From the introduction of the book, we saw that the gospel comes before godliness. And then we saw the characteristic of the godly leaders uh, that Titus was to set in place and bring order in the church. And my little attempt at alliteration, <laughs> faithful, not flashy. So now, as we begin chapter two, I think you'll see the last verse of chapter one and the first verse of chapter two, a huge contrast. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then chapter two, verse one, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So we see that the false teachers their behavior, their actions flowed out of what they believed. And Titus was supposed to teach sound doctrine. And I put that definition in there for you, um, Hugiano, from which we get our word hygiene. And we think of healthy, whole, clean. And Titus was to teach the gospel truth, this sound doctrine, and his life was to reflect it. So as you were going through your study this week, I asked you to look at chapter 2 verse 5 and chapter 2 verse 10 and what are two different ways that the gospel can be reflected on what are two different ways that you see in those verses you can talk out loud it's okay I'll repeat it if you talk quietly At the end of everything that the older women and the younger women are to be interacting on, he says if this doesn't happen, the word of God is what? Blasphemed, some of your verses say, reviled. It, um, it reflect, reflects very poorly on the gospel and on the word of God. But then in chapter 2, verse 10, down at the end, after he's talked about the older men, the older women, the younger women, the young men, um, even the servants, he says that when this happens, the gospel, when we're living out what we believe, what kind of a reflection is there on the gospel then? It's attractive. It's adorned. Pastor Pat says that quite often, that we cannot add to the gospel because then it would no longer be the, the gospel. That is all of God. But we can reflect well on it. We can adorn it by the way we live our lives. Okay, so the truth of the gospel and its impact is on every part of life. And uh, Titus was to be teaching that. Okay, so I want to encourage you that when you think about that, oh no, I can revile what I do, can revile or blaspheme the word of God. I want you to be encouraged that even though life in a broken world is hard, um, trying to live for God apart from the Holy Spirit is impossible. Um, but sometimes we live our lives as though he's not there. We, we act like it's, it's all on us. We've got to do it ourselves. And that's why one of the things I really want to encourage us to do, all of us as women, is to have the word of God coming into us, into our hearts, into our minds. Whether we sit down and read it, whether we listen to it, 
um, on our phones, whether we have it playing on something in our houses, somehow that the truth of God's word is getting into our hearts. And as we look at chapter two, I hope to see or to look at our profession, which is what we say we believe, lining up more with our practice, what we do as believers. Okay, so when we look at the older men, um, they were to be, verse 2, if you have your Bibles out, chapter 2, verse 2 says, The older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So as I was reading and studying for our time together, I discovered that the, in the Greek culture, they really revered and elevated these qualities, especially faith, love, and endurance, but nobody really lived them out, especially in Crete. Um, but for believers, these character qualities are to flow out of our lives because we are new creations in Christ, not because of some cultural idea that was admired but not lived. Um, a friend of mine who's a pastor's wife uh, was doing some counseling with her husband with this young couple and in their church and um, they asked, do you have a Bible at home? Oh yes, we have a Bible at home. It has a very special place on a shelf. Said, oh, okay, do you read it? Well, no, it's, it's really kind of hard to understand. And they were trying to encourage them in their marriage in love and they were trying to have them read um, 1 Corinthians 13. And they were just kind of, yeah... No, we, we don't get it. And so they gave them a new, more modern translation, and they started to read it. And their response was like, we're supposed to do that? That's how we're supposed to live? Charity just sounded like a really neat word that didn't connect to them. But um, reading the Word of God um, did not make them comfortable. And so the question, I believe I asked you a question in here about that. What are some ways that I am content to admire God's word from afar, but not really dig in and let it change me? And I had you read Romans 8, 31 to 39, and how does that help? Anybody want to share? If not, I will just keep talking, and then when I turn the recording off, then you can talk more. <laughs> from afar yeah but and it is hard it's hard when we read the word of God and it pushes us or drags us out of our comfort zones but that is so important for us because if we just stay where we're comfortable we're never going to grow and change and um, just I don't know especially this winter have you ever kind of gotten home from wherever you are during the day get really comfortable get a blanket pull it over you and it's like I don't want to move. Even when it's time to go to bed, that means I have to get up and go. You know, we just like to be comfortable. We don't always like to be challenged. But knowing that God is doing it for our good and his glory should help us 
Okay, so we're going back to Titus now. Some of the qualities that were talked here, especially with the older men, sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, can sound a little stuffy, a little stiff, you know? But really what it means is mature. The word sober-minded carries the idea of someone who thinks things through, is not flighty or impulsive. Um, I work, where I work today, one of my coworkers was just sharing, she'd just gotten a text, and I heard her go, oh no. She has a, a teenager who decided he needed to buy a car, a Dodge Challenger, some kind of muscle car, right? And she's, she's looking at it, she goes, your insurance is going to cost more than your car. <laughs> but you don't think about that when you're 18 or 19, you just think, this would be so cool. There's some maturity that the, the older men were to have. And that next phrase, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness or endurance, means to be healthy, that word sound, again, to be healthy or whole. So in faith, we are trusting Christ for our salvation. In love, and that is the agape, the word meaning love, which is looking to the good of others, not just ourselves. And then um, steadfastness, which means patient continuance. And I think we mentioned last week, endurance with hope. Okay, so, and then the older man would have lived like this. And again, I always want to make this point because I need to make it to myself. They were not doing this to earn God's love and acceptance, but because they had God's love and acceptance because of what Christ did, for our salvation and the power of the indwelling spirit, that's how they were able to do that. They weren't perfect, but because they had the indwelling spirit, and same for us, we are progressing. That's why you will hear people talk about progressive sanctification. It's not, whoop, and there you are at the top. It's more like a rocky road with some tripping and falling from time to time, but generally moving up. Yes, it's a, it's a learning, growing thing. And I think, did I say this last week, or it's in my notes <laughs> this week, that um, birth is an event. Yes, I did, because I said, for some of you who've had children, you think it was a very long event, <laughs> a very long event. But it was an event, because the child was born, but growth is over time. And when we are born into God's family, we are his children, that will not change, he will not let his children go. But the learning and growing takes some time and some, some, sometimes some stumbling. But God is faithful because if you belong to him, he is not letting you go. He will make you as uncomfortable as necessary to bring you home. Okay, so now look at verse three. The older women, and I circled that word likewise, because when you see likewise or therefore, you need to look back and see what is this talking about. The older women likewise, so that's like the older men. So those words that 
sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, those all apply to women. And then they were to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So when you see that word likewise, for us, it's not that big a deal to think, well, yeah, the men and the women are expected to behave the same way. But back in that culture, that was a big deal. Women weren't, in some parts of the culture, even considered people. Um, so the way that the Word of God brings us um, to that level of we are children of God, there may be different roles and responsibilities, but as far as value before the face of God, all of his children are valuable to him. And the expectation is that the older women will also live out godly lives. Okay, so this maturity, this life of moderation expressed in holy behavior is for men and women. And I think sometimes as we get older, some of you are very young, and, and so the old, I mean, probably 40s, like, wow, that's, that's a ways away, that's old. That's young for some of us. <laughs> so, but when you think about it, um, once we get to a certain point, we think, hey, you know what? I've put in my time. I have worked hard. Now it's time for me to kind of kick back. There really isn't anything in the Word of God that speaks to that. And just say, okay, it's time to coast now. Um, for all of us, living out the gospel, living out what we believe, goes on until we go home to be with the Lord. And um, I think some of you have heard the the seashell illustration from John Piper. Um, I looked it up because I didn't want to mess it up like I did that Keller one, you know, the first week. So, um, <clears throat> But he was speaking at the Passion Conference a few years ago. Well, a lot of years ago. It was in year 2000. And a uh, huge crowd of people. It was hot. It was windy. His notes were blowing everywhere. And um, But he said... Um, he was talking about some people from his church. And he said, three weeks ago, we got the news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby, over 80 years old, single all her life and a nurse, poured out her life for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities and in her retirement, partnered up with Ruby. She was also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes gave way, and over a cliff they went, and they were dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women, in their 80s almost, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away, on trivialities in Florida and in New Mexico, they fly into et eternity with death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. The crowd knew the answer and called out, no, it's not a tragedy, Piper affirmed. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he pulled out a page from Reader's Digest. He said later, I don't know where I got it because I don't subscribe, I probably got it in a doctor's office. And then he read to them, Bob and Penny, took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told the crowd. 
And there are people in this country who are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you, he stands before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection, and I've got a good swing. And hey, look at my boat. Don't waste your life, he said. And that impact, and then the article goes on to talk about how many people were there that that impacted their lives. And they were in their 20s and 30s. But I think sometimes for us, when we get 50 and above, that's a challenge too, to say, no, my life's not over until God calls me home. So as older women, we have the opportunity and the privilege of coming alongside some younger women and trying to encourage them along on those days when the kids, you know, and, and we can say, honestly, because we live through it, I know you think you're gonna die from this, but I promise you won't. It's hard, but it's so wonderful to see that you can look back and see how God carried you through and then you can encourage someone else with that truth. Okay, so now we're gonna get into some challenges here for us as women. Um, because some of the things we are to do and some now, what are we not to do? Um, it says specifically, uh, we're not to be slanderers. And the Greek word here, and I had you, well, when you first saw that, if you know any Spanish, you're like, uh-oh, that's not a good word. Diabolos, and sounds like what? The devil. And it's used multiple times in scripture to mean Satan. It also means slander and false accuser. And I had you look up some of those verses and I think you would see that um, all of those characteristics of Satan go along with slander. Okay, so and I here's what one commentator that I read said: Paul's instruction to the older women had the same goal, with the word likewise, of Christian respectability. In their case, respectable behavior amounts to reverence, which above all means avoiding slanderous talk and drunkenness and teaching what's good. The term Paul chose uh, to refer to reverence was used to characterize the conduct of priestesses, which suggested that he advocated Christian fit and exceptional lifestyle. Slanderous talk and drunkenness, on the other hand, were among the vices most commonly associated with the negative type of older women in the Greco-Roman society. So, and another commentator said that often slanderous speech and drunkenness go together because the removal of inhibition by the drunkenness allowed unfiltered speech to come forth. But we have to remember, it was already in the heart. That lack of filter just let it come out. Um, so, and you might be thinking, hey, I'm good here. I don't drink, so I'm good. Um, but the tougher question for us is, is there any habit of life that in moderation can be fine, but in your life has you enslaved? something that you're in bondage to and doing damage to your life and your testimony, that kind of widens the topic a little bit, doesn't it? Um, and we joke about things like chocolate and coffee. And I drink coffee every day. So coffee is no joke. But like with anything, it can be done to excess, right? We can take things to excess. Um, innocent little things, things that if we leave the house without certain things, we will turn around and go back. I've done this a couple times. <laughs> I wait around, oh, my phone is at home. I have to go back. But things like Pinterest 
and Facebook. And you had those days when you go, I am just gonna get on there and find this recipe, right? And two hours later, we're still there. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with recipes and ideas for your home and pictures. That's not sinful. But if it enslaves me in such a way that I'm looking at those things because I'm so discontent with what God has given me, then that's reflecting on what's going on and something that we need to, to face. We need, by God's grace, to not be enslaved to anything except what we read in Romans chapter 6. We are no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. Okay, so... Um, we are not looking to become moralistic law keepers and have, have lists of things. Oh, you can't do this and you have to do that. But a question that Mark Vance asked our um, singles group way back when he was still here, two questions to ask yourself about any activity. Does this thing fan the flame of my love for God or does it draw me away from him? Very simple. Does it fan the flame of my love for God or does it draw me away from him? So let me give you a silly illustration. If you've heard me teach before, you've probably heard this one. Um, my kids like Twizzlers. I don't understand that. I, I just, it's cherry flavored wax. I just, you know, <laughs> no, they like this. It's, yeah. Okay, I am so not a connoisseur. It's just, ugh. <laughs> you know, that, the package could just sit on the counter for a year and I would just move it to dust. And, but for me, hot tamales is a whole nother story. Completely different story. In fact, I have a rule. I will never buy the two pound bag. Just doesn't matter. Never. Or is it three pound? Whatever it is, way too big, too much temptation. I don't even buy them unless I know <laughs> there's going to be somebody at home to share with, or we're going to a movie and somebody will take half. Why? Because I don't want to make any provision for the flesh. I know a weakness of mine. So... Are we willing to even scrutinize some of those things that are, are fine? But if it enslaves me, if it is taking me away, if it is causing me to um, live an unhealthy life that doesn't glorify God, then I need to challenge myself and maybe have a friend challenge me too um, and encourage me and hold me accountable. So those things, slander, drunkenness, all of those things that we're not to do. But what are we to do? We are to teach what is good. Um, that whole section there, teaching what is good, the, um, and then to train the young women, that word train is connected to those other words that we looked at, sound doctrine and those things. But it also has the meaning of to bring to one's senses. So Sometimes we just need to somebody to come alongside us and talk to us very straightforward. I need friends in my life like that, that will speak to me in love, but speak truth. And so um, the word new, uh, where it talks about the younger women, the new means newly married uh, or with young children. And the idea of founding a foundation for their life in Christ and there's a lot of ways this can happen. It can be formal teaching. It can be Bible studies like this. But it can just be life on life. Spending time together. Going to the store together. Coming over um, and having coffee. Maybe 
for the older women to just go over and spend some time with the younger woman um, during that time and um, maybe just read the Bible together or talk and share how God has grown you and taught you in a way that gives encouragement to another person. And there are a lot of things in this list here of ways to be trained. And I think one of the challenges for us, for any woman who's, because most, all of you are older than somebody and younger than somebody. So in a sense, all women who are believers can fill that older and younger woman role. We have opportunities to learn always from people who are older than us and younger than us. And we have opportunities to speak truth. I have been challenged in a very good way, sometimes by young believers who are just so faithful and so transparent in and in their excitement for their faith that it challenges me. And uh, so we can do that for each other. But when it comes to things like loving your husband, loving your children, um, and my husband has heard me say this and he'll say similar things. Um, there's a lot to learn about loving your husband because sometimes they're not all that lovable. And to be honest, sometimes we're not all that lovable either. So the foundation for all of this, and I come back to it again because as I said, I need to hear it too. The foundation for why I love my husband, no matter what the day is like, why I love my children, no matter how they've behaved, it's not based on what they do, but based on the fact that the God of the universe, who at great personal sacrifice to the entire Godhead, provided my salvation and has saved my eternal soul from hell and is preparing a place for me in heaven to live with him eternally because he asks me to. And that's enough. He has asked me to love my husband, to love my children, to care for my home, to be kind, all of these things for his glory. Because we have a, I don't, I don't think it's an American, I think it's a human thing, that I will be nice to you if you're nice to me. I mean, but you've read in scripture where, uh, I think it's Paul who says, you love people that love you basically great so do the pagans you know there's nothing very spiritual about that but we're called to love our husbands and our children and people in our lives who are difficult because we're all difficult people there's not a one of us who's not difficult at some point or another but God has chosen to set his love on us and because he loves me he can give me the grace to love others. And I think that some days we're just gonna have such a hard time. And we need to be able to reach out to somebody and have them not say to us, oh honey, that's just terrible. You should not have to put up with that. Because that's what people will do. Or, well, I don't know what's the matter with him. I just think it's all his fault. That's not gonna help. That's not gonna help. But to have somebody say to you, oh, I know that's hard, that is so hard. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. That I know God is in this with you. I don't know what he's doing, but we're gonna pray together and I'm here for you. And coming alongside with truth or coming alongside with a similar situation where God has met you, you give hope that has a foundation that's eternal, not of the moment. 
Okay, so I want us to look at um, Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. I don't think I had you look that up. Um, <laughs> but it's like one of my go-to favorite passages. Because if you were in Awana, I'm sure you memorized Hebrews 4, 12. And you may have memorized 15 through 16 at some point. But it wasn't until I was getting ready to speak at a missions thing. I believe it was actually up at Holmes um, back when we were home on deputation, um, the little Baptist church in Holmes. And I was preparing and I read Hebrews chapter four and I started at verse 12 and read all the way through 16. And I went, oh, that goes together so well. That's amazing. It's amazing how the word of God does that. And that's why I'm a big proponent of not taking a verse here and there but reading long passages. So um, let me have one of you read. Who's got a Bible out and would love to? I put it in there. I did put it in there. Okay, did I write it out? Yes. Yes. One of you read it. Can you think of times when you've picked up your Bible and you've started reading and you just feel like you've just been cut open with a sword, that it just got right to where you were and who you are? And then the part that really caught me was reading then verse 13, and no one is hidden from his sight. So it's as though the word of God cuts us open and just reveals our heart and it's naked and open and right there before the eyes of God. And if it stopped there, that would be so discouraging. And it doesn't say in verse 14, and you just better straighten up and get your act together, because that's how we act sometimes with people. S sadly, sometimes that's how we parent. <laughs> and But that's not what it says here. It reminds us that we have a great high priest Jesus, the Son of God, and he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he didn't sin. So remember that the pressure that he felt in temptation was a hundred times more than what we felt, and he never gave in. So he understands, and you can share with him, and you can open up your heart to him. And then it tells us to come running to the throne of grace with confidence draw near. I think when we fail, our tendency is to run and hide, just like Adam and Eve. Nothing has changed much since the garden, has it? We go and hide. We don't want to come and face God, but he tells us to come for mercy and grace. First John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The only one who wants us to run and hide is Satan because he wants us to be defeated. He wants things to cause, uh, to defeat us and to cause us to despair. And God would use that very same thing to cause you to grow and to learn and to draw closer to him. 
Okay, so as you meditate on that, and as you think about this verse, which I use a lot too, um, Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That powerfully speaks the gospel to us. But thinking about all those verses, how does that help you when you face a difficult relationship or a difficult conversation in your family or a difficult situation at your job? Because we want this to be extremely practical. We want this to live out in our lives. We don't want it to just be something we go, uh-huh, that sounds really good. That was great. Thank you. And then not apply it. So how can you be encouraged as you read those words when you face something difficult? That's great. It gives you perspective, doesn't it, on what's going on right here when we realize how much we've been forgiven. Yeah, yeah, he did. I think we have a way, um, and Brad's message Sunday was really, really good on many levels, but that was a, an important one. Um, sometimes we are not upset with people because they've sinned against God. We're upset with people because they violated our laws. They violated our rules. And it's very convicting sometimes. Am I holding people to a higher standard than God? And that that's wrong because we're not God. But that is a way in which sometimes um, when we see what's going on in our own hearts, we're, we're trying to be God. We are trying to be in the place of God. And asking God, it doesn't mean that it's easy because some sins are very, very difficult. But remembering how God has forgiven us all our sin and he knows our hearts to the depths. 
and yet forgives us. He will help us and give us the grace to do that, to forgive others. Okay, so, um, and I, one of the things I think too, hopefully, that as we grow um, older, all of us as women, we can learn to see and get perspective, like Kate was talking about, getting perspective. Um, Marilyn, and all of you know, but in case people listening to us um, don't know, Pastor Pat and Marilyn married. She was a widow with three children. He was a widower with seven. And um, Marilyn's daughter, Natalie, is married to um, my son, Chad. And so Marilyn and I share five grandchildren together. And one day she was telling me about our oldest grandson, Ezra, was helping her and he was dusting and he accidentally dropped a picture frame and he felt so bad. And Mar Marilyn was helping him clean up and she said, Ezra, honey, don't worry about that. That's not important. And I was listening to her share with that and I said, you know, had it been my son, Ezra's father, I'm afraid he may not have received as much grace <laughs> as you are giving Ezra. And she looked at him and she goes, if it had been one of mine, probably not either. It's funny how as we learn and we grow, and as grandmothers, we get some perspective. And that little eternal soul is so much more important than that picture frame, you know? And I wish that I had had that grace when my kids were little. But God is kind and he is gracious. And as a grandma now, I can share that with a younger mom. I know that's hard. I know you worked hard for that. But their soul's more important than that little broken thing. And to try to encourage women and to not be focused so much on the temporal and try to get a bigger picture. But that comes over time. And, and God is gracious to teach us that. So when we look at um, like verse 5, to, we are to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, submissive to our own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Um, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. Back in the Roman times, there was some type of woman called the new woman. And it was like the Roman version of feminism. And they were kind of throwing off all of the, you know, and so that was an influence there in Crete. And um, so one of the authors that I read said, uh, in the first century, a new kind of woman emerged in the Roman Empire who dressed provocatively and sometimes promiscuous lifestyle contrasted starkly with the decorum of the traditional married woman. And what a woman chose to wear came to identify her as new or modest. Um, Augustus legislated against the new woman, the Caesar, um, and then philosophical schools encouraged their followers to avoid this. It's kind of fascinating that during this time, the presence of the new woman was also felt in the early church, where Christian wives and mothers and widows were exhorted not to emulate that lifestyle. So it's like, nothing's new. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So part of that training was to call back, call to our senses. And um, we know that there's a lot of work being a keeper at home. And I don't know about you, but I always hated the phrase housewife because I am not married to a house. I like the term homemaker because I want to make a home for my family. Okay, but how are we to um, make a home? Can a single woman make a home? I believe she can. 
um, are single moms making homes. Yes, widows. We are to make a home a place where our families and people are welcome to gather. And that doesn't mean that you never work outside the home. Um, you have to be in the place where God has called you to be. But the focus of the woman, and you see that in other places, like in Proverbs 31, she was quite the businesswoman, but the focus of the good that she was doing was her home and her family. And so I have to ask myself, when I am doing these things, when I'm reading this verse, when I'm trying to encourage another woman, what's the focus? I'm not going to focus on the exact hours that she spends in her day doing what things. What I'm going to focus on is where is my heart? Is my heart to make a home for my family and to love my husband and to love my children and the things that it mentions here in these verses? Because we can get kind of legalistic about this too and say it has to look a certain way. And I think that has spawned what has been called on Facebook the mommy wars about you have to do it like this and you have to do, and it can be vaccinations which are in the news again, or oils, or natural organic, or homeschool, public school, classic school, oh, you name it. People can go to war over so much. And it's not the thing that we're supposed to be fighting about. We are to be fighting against sin and encouraging other, each other to walk with God. And what is that going to look like? So that's the challenge to each of us. Um, as we go through um, the word of God and as we come together as women, how are we encouraging each other? Um, you know, I mentioned to you um, my friend Denise who had very little but always had a home that made me just feel like, oh, I'm at rest when I came in. Um, but that came from her heart. That came from the way she... Um, raised her kids and lived her life. And so you don't have to have a lot of the world's goods. But as we are being focused, as we are being hard workers at home and doing all of these things, we can forget that one little word in there. We can forget to be kind. Have you ever had that experience where you've just finished cleaning your floor? It's beautiful. And then one of the kids opens the door and the dog comes in and it's been muddy and raining. And how do you respond to that? I would love to say that, you know, we always respond peacefully and not say things like, um, you are in so much, the dog is going to the pound right now. You know, that kind of reaction, you know. Um, you wanna train and teach your children. You probably wanna ask questions, those kind of things. But we've all had those experiences as we're older where we have responded poorly and we can encourage younger women as they come into these areas of life. Can I be kind? Even when I have to correct, even when I have to help that kid that opened the door get the mop in the bucket and clean the floor, can I be kind about it? Can I help them learn responsibility? And then... I do want to talk just for a minute on that phrase, be submissive to your own husbands. That is a very specific phrase, to your own husbands. And there's some amazing messages um, probably on our, our church website you could listen to about what that looks like. Um, but 
the most beautiful example of submissiveness to me is Jesus. When you read in First Peter about how he never responded when he was reviled against, he didn't respond in kind. And then in the very next section of that passage in First Peter, wives and husbands are both told to respond likewise. It's not just the women, it's both. That perfect picture of Jesus' humility. But for us as women, what a beautiful picture of submission. Jesus' submission to the Father. Was he any less than God? He was completely equal with God. But his position and his submissive life in following God's leading and, and the Father's plan to send Christ to be the sacrifice for our sin, all of that is such a beautiful example for us. And Mm -hmm. may not have done a generation ago, huh? Right, and what, what we need to remember is, am I following the word of God? Am I, um, and that word submission, um, is voluntary. The word hupotasso is a voluntary arranging ourselves under. And that is another thing too, because sometimes we can get, what can I say? We have a really hard time with maybe a decision that our husband might make that's not sin. It's a decision we don't love. And we have to pray and communicate and trust God. And probably the biggest one for me, um, back a few years ago, a lot of years ago now, we were missionaries to Ecuador. And then I'm an only child, so my parents um, needed us. At one point, my dad had a heart attack, and my mom was suffering from um, dementia related to Parkinson's. And I came home to help after my dad's heart attack, and it was clear that they needed us. And so it was a challenge. We came home. Um, from the field, and then uh, probably about a week, we kept my mom with us as long as we possibly could. We had bells on doors, and we had people um, watching all the time, but um, it just got to the point where my dad made the very difficult decision um, for her to be in a facility uh, where she would get round-the-clock care, and about a week after that, he passed away. I think the pressures of all of that were so hard on him. But the blessing in that was he, he became a believer five months before he died. So we got to see one of the reasons God brought us home. But right after that, my husband started thinking about going back to Ecuador. 
but my mom was still living. And it's funny how the, the thoughts kind of fell along gender lines. Every man that my husband talked to said, that's just logical. Someone could look after Diane's mom and you guys can go back to the field. And every woman I talked to were like, oh no, you can't go. That, that wouldn't work. And that's kind of about how it fell out for us. It was a very hard time for us. And I was really, really struggling with that and praying and asking God um, to, to change my husband's heart. But it didn't look like my husband's heart was changing on that. And it was just, it was like a dying to what I wanted and saying, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, then you are going to have to give me the grace to do it because I can't do it of myself. And so um, I just trusted God with that. And um, a couple months after that, we had a meeting with our sending church. And after meeting with us, they said, you know, we don't think you guys are ready to go back yet. So I think you're going to need to be maybe home another year. And for me, that was like God saying to me, I will take care of you. You be obedient to me. That is the way that I needed to learn to trust God. Now, I want to be very clear. In our day and age, we need to clarify, you don't follow your husband into sin. Um, it's just like the apostle said, you know, we'll obey God rather than man. You don't follow someone else into sin. And um, that means uh, you don't lie, cheat, or steal if your husband asks you to, but it also means you don't hide it if you and your children are in danger. You have a church family, you get help, um, and you don't hide sin. Because really, that's not loving to the person who's struggling to hide that. So um, it doesn't mean, you, it's not an act of love to keep hiding something in the darkness. It's really loving to bring it into the light and get help. Okay, so all of those things, the point is, why do we do this? That the word of God is not reviled. Okay, our behavior doesn't save us. None of that saves us. It's the grace of God and the mercy of God that saves us. Now, back to what I said earlier about Awana verses. If you are an Awana, you know Titus 2, 11 through 14. And I love these verses because it's the gospel all over again, right here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So do you see that gospel before godliness in here in a couple places? Where do you see that? Right off the bat. In verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And then comes the training and the way that we're to live. And then again, look in verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And the whole world gets that backwards. <laughs> I'm good then God will love me. No, because God's, God loves me and I've been saved, then I live out this obedient life. Not perfectly, but I'm growing that way. 
All right, so, um, and the bookend there is in verse one, Paul told Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then in verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Do you think that might've been a challenge for him as a young man? Do you find yourself a little intimidated or ever challenged if you need to speak to someone that's older than you and you need to correct them or say something to them that you think they're not going to like hearing? Yeah, nobody likes that. <laughs> no one that's listening can see your faces, but I can tell nobody likes that. And that had to be a challenge for Titus. Right? He was going to this really difficult place, this really difficult culture with some strong false teachers, set up leadership, and then speak. But his confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in God. And his confidence was in what God said. So I want you to be encouraged as you walk through this, uh, this book. And I hope that you're learning to love it. Um, and not just for those two, three through five, but for the whole, the whole council of seeing the way that body of Christ, the community of believers work together. Um, and then I'm gonna close some prayer and, and then just talk a little bit more. Okay, Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy and goodness to us in giving us your word and in what you um, are doing in each of our lives that we can be encouraged by people around us, um, by women who are older than us, by women who are younger than us, and we can be an encouragement to others. Even as we failed, we never glorify those failures, but we give glory to a God who forgives sin and encourages us to come running to him in time of need. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness to each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.